Conversations with Daisy Jones. Conversations with Daisy Jones. Conversations with Daisy Jones. Conversations with Daisy Jones. Hey, let's talk a while. She the community voice with a big old smile. If you want that truth, don't touch the dial. If you want that truth, don't touch the dial. Community resource for number one. She's the best when it's all said and done. So go ahead, call on the phone, man, you're live on the mic with Daisy Jones, so let it not miss you, yeah. Better than the magazine, bringing life to the issue. Having these talks that'll bless you, every conversation will address you. Every word tastes good like blessed food, this show gon' bless you. So get on the phone, have a conversation with Daisy Jones. Let's go! And welcome to Conversations with Daisy Jones. You know this show is all about inspiration, empowerment, and it's entertaining because we like to laugh when we have conversations. So I am grateful to be here. So guess where I am this time for this show? I am in San Diego, California. Um, my love and I, you know, my love Jones, we, we like to, you know, get out and get about. So we're in San Diego. Just a random uh, trip out here. We have family out here. And so we're sitting in the Navy Lodge on North Island. And uh, yesterday we spotted a gentleman who had on this fly, bold, colorful jacket getting coffee, right? And I'm looking at this gentleman, distinguished, walking in power. So I'm just thinking to myself, he's somebody, right? I'm thinking he's a retired general. We're in the Navy. And um, so what happens today is we're sitting here uh, drinking coffee again and the gentleman comes in, we start up a conversation. So guess what everybody, I want to welcome to the show Craig Strong. He is a retired circuit court judge out of Detroit, Michigan, the third judicial circuit of Michigan, and he is a fashion icon. He has an amazing personality, just walking in life. And I want to welcome you. He's retired Navy. That's right. I want to welcome you to the conversation. Welcome. Well, Daisy, thank you so very, very much. You have me smiling so much. Like I always tell people, you got to show up to go up. Yes. And I'm so glad I met you because I feel like I'm going up right now. Oh, my goodness. Here we are. Here I am on an interview uh, over coffee. Yeah. Just enjoying myself in San Diego. And look at what happened. I met you and your husband, yes. wife and I, she and I. Yes. Roxanne, um... You know, we're really happy to be here. I'm really happy to meet you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to meet you and um, Roxanne. And I know Roxanne is going to jump into the conversation. Well, I don't know, but I'm hoping she will. And once she does, we're going to introduce her as well. How's that? Sounds good to me. So kind of, um, you know, we were just sitting here and talking about um, you, uh, non-traditional path, in my opinion. Well. Non-traditional, bold and powerful path, fashion I mean, uh, well. I Googled you while we were sitting here. Um, so I'm just so blessed and I'm thankful that we got, we had an opportunity to meet. So tell me a little bit more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Well, I've been a judge. I was a judge for 43 years. 43 years. I got on the bench when I was 30 years old. And that was a great honor. And it's been the greatest honor I've had in my life. And I'm proud of my second career in the military. I was a reservist for 23 years. Mm. And the highlight of my service was being a judge in San Diego, mm. conducting special court marshals. And I haven't been here 
in several years. It's just so nice to come back mm -hmm. to a city that I love, a place that is beautiful, and to meet interesting people such as you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, I want to just kind of ask you, I got so many questions, I have so many questions. And before I get into um, the fashion part, <laughs> Because I'm loving this jacket and the one you had on yesterday. It's Coogee. And all of them. <laughs> and you're going to explain to me what Coogee is. But you're, so your career in the military, mm -hmm. how did that get started? Um, it got started when I was in law school and I got drafted into the Army. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, when I look back on it, it turned out to be a good thing. But it was at a time when we were getting discriminated against. I mean, I graduated Howard University. I'm in law school, mm -hmm. and I get drafted, and I get sent to boot camp as a private, as opposed to officers candidates. Oh, what some other people experience, yeah. right? And well, the three other classmates who were white uh, became officers. Um, I was sent to boot camp mm -hmm. as a private mm -hmm. with a college degree, and I just felt. Um, well, the discrimination of that time yeah. when I asked them, how did this happen? How did come? I'm in boot camp as mm -hmm. a private. And they were talking about zip codes and things like that. Oh. The draft, just something ridiculous. Mm. So I had the experience of serving um, in the military as enlisted. I'm a lawyer of your life. Um, you're worried about how you're going to live your life. And it's about quality. And the one thing that I've learned this age in life is not about money it's about health and happiness yes you know health and happiness are the most powerful concerns i have yes to stay healthy if you stay healthy you're going to be happy mm -hmm. well health is the greatest yeah, wealth. Yes, health, health is, wealth. is your wealth yes and that's true mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know being the military uh, there's an emphasis on health yes on physical training exercise mm -hmm. and it's very important mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think about even a boot camp, they said, this is the healthiest you'll ever be. And that's true. That's true, especially <laughs> if we maintain that practice that's and right. that discipline of mm -hmm. it. We could maintain yeah. it. It's a struggle every yeah, day. Yeah, it is. It's choices every day, but yeah, yeah. I was going to walk this morning while you were getting ready. I said, I'll just wait. So we're going to walk a little bit today. You know why I'm laughing? Mm, I'm yeah. the walker. Yeah, she's the walker. <laughs> I've been walking all my life. All your life? All, uh, all my mm. life. Mm. Roxanne Strong. I use my maiden name, okay. Witter. Okay, Witter. Yes. Okay, so tell us, um, just, you are, you were telling me earlier that uh, uh, you have a vast background. Fashion designer? No, interior did you, did design. You interior design, design. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I design commercial and residential um, places, um, hotels, hospitality, mm -hmm. mayoral mansion first black in the country mm. to do a mayoral mansion. Okay. Um, uh, all kind of facilities and mm -hmm. all levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, you were, you said you were a global delegate? United Nations. United Nations delegate? Yes. Mm -hmm. to, um, it was held in Durban, South Africa. Mm -hmm. And it was the International Conference on Racism and Xenophobia. Mm -hmm. All presidents of the countries throughout the world attended. Were there. This yeah. is a once in a lifetime, yeah. Mandela was alive before he had passed away. They're instrumental to see about global racism and the impact um, economically, mm -hmm. and politically, and culturally. And culturally. And I said on the tribunal, as well as Craig. 
You said on the tribunal. Yeah. No, but he, no, but he I was, was an international observer in yeah. the first all-race election in yes, which Nelson before. Mandela was elected. I monitored the election in prison and farmlands and in the city of Claremont. So um, that was a great experience and one that I'm very proud of. Hmm. Um, how were you selected for that? How were you chosen to, to participate as an observer? Okay, I had already been to South Africa during apartheid mm -hmm. with the National Bar Association. I'm past I'm chair of the Judicial Council, mm -hmm. uh, the African American Judges in America. So um, I was there to uh, form an International Black Bar Association, and I had the occasion to sit on the court there next to the judge in a murder trial advising the judge on my views on, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the death penalty and whether this particular defendant um, could be found guilty and executed. And it's very interesting because South Africa did not have a bill of rights like we do. Mm -hmm. And in this country, um, so many of the people don't have birth records. And in South Africa at that time, you had to be at least 18 to mm -hmm. be executed. And they were trying to prove that this village man was 18, mm -hmm. but they didn't have written records. Mm -hmm. So they used um, books on physiology and anatomy, bone growth, mm -hmm. to try to prove that he was 18. Mm -hmm. Of course, I objected to that. I didn't believe that they could prove that he was 18, and uh, the judge agreed with me on that. Mm -hmm. um, so when the election in South Africa came, up, came about, the United Nations was involved in it. And I was active with the National Bar Association, and we were um, given six uh, slots for that election, and I was um, chosen to be one of the representatives of the National Bar Association. Mm. It was very interesting because, like I said, I was in the farmlands. Um, you know, when you had people, it rained like a couple of days, and you, know, you had a mile-long line of people trying to vote. Mm. And you saw these young people that looked old. A lot of people were missing their limbs, their fingers from, you know, using farm equipment. Yeah. And then when I went to the prison, um, hardly nobody wanted to go to prison. But, of course, I did because I was a criminal law judge. Mm -hmm. So, um, and what surprised me was that the prison looked just like us, mm -hmm. you know. And they had debtors prison there, so most of the white inmates were there because of debts. Mm -hmm. The black inmates were there because of um, crimes. And you had a lot of young ones, and they had uh, tattoos. Mm -hmm. And their tattoos were made out of matches. Um, you know, you burn a match, a wooden match, and you draw on your hand mm -hmm. um, figures, and you just keep putting the, the, the charcoal in there to uh, develop tattoos. Mm. But they had their gains too. Mm. And um, this is very interesting mm. just to be a part of that culture and to mm -hmm. um, witness how they have evolved over the years because mm -hmm. I pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. And well, I just wish them the best. I mean, we just have to keep on supporting them because they're still going through it's changes. Still, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's economic more than anything else. It's interesting else. how our lives segued from his head to my head, then fast forward, I'm sent to South Africa mm -hmm. as a UN delegate. Mm -hmm. I'm not a judge, but in a judge capacity, mm -hmm. because we, over the tribunals with the president, uh, Colin Powell, Nelson Mandela, you name it, all of our black iconic figures, Mr. Conyers from, um, from Michigan. And in the tribunals, we overlook cases 
internationally of people who've been abused, claiming land rights, or just conflict. And the conflicts were the Irish having the Protestant versus the Catholic one. The Middle Eastern situation was number two. That was our um, the Arab-Israeli conflict. Then, of course, Africa, all the internal strife that was going on with all the nations. South America, Brazil specifically. Um, there's a lot of internal conflict with, as you know, they have a lot of um, authoritarian leaders in there, mm -hmm. which have taken the rights away, basically, of people of color, even though Brazil has the largest black population mm -hmm. outside of Africa, yes. which kind of blew my mind to see the delegation come in, which all these black people. Interesting enough, the tribunal awarded the most amount of money to England because of the conflict between the Catholic and the Protestants and mm. what we now, of course, call Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting when I saw black people coming forth, seeing that their land was taken away from them, people who historically lived on land. There was an older gentleman who looked to me like he was 100. He was only about 45 years old, mm. but he looked like he was 100. And he, his land was stolen from him. And his family, who had owned it for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So this is a global, even now, this is an issue, a right. problem all over the world for people of color. Yeah. Yeah. But what was interesting is that they had to work the land when the white folks mm -hmm. took over their property. And what they do is when you're older or no longer physically capable of working more, they throw you out on the street. Mm -hmm. And when they throw them out of this treaty, it comes to say, but this was the land that I originally owned. Mm -hmm. But all the money was given to the Great Britain conflict. And this is not surprising. Because the president, mm -hmm. the chairman of the tribunal globally, is Irish. It's not surprising to me. I don't know what year that was, but... It was, uh, I was there during 9-11, mm -hmm. and that's another story, because I was there when 9-11 hit. Mm -hmm. And 9-11, I'm here to say, and I have the documentation, was not an accident. We knew this was coming, and this is about a global conflict that was going on. And I have all the UN papers, which I cannot... You, well, you get, cannot put, put forward at this point. Right. But, but I have all the documents. There's a couple of us that do including Mr. Mandela, because he was with us. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, Roxanne, you just hold on to this, and at some point you might be able to still. But I do have copies of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um, I want to go back to the, uh, the point where you retired from the Navy, and what did you do? Well, I was a reservist mm -hmm. during that time, mm -hmm. so um, I have basically stayed in contact with the Navy with the minority officers mm -hmm. um, through the National Bar Association. I was a member of the military law section and I was a liaison between the judges, the Judicial Council and mm -hmm. the National Bar Association. And I tried to be supportive whenever I could. Um, I still attend ceremonies. I still participate um, in parades, Veterans Day parades. As a matter of fact, um, they honored me as a Veteran of the Year as a reservist mm -hmm. because most reservists don't hang around. Mm. So um, I was really honored by that. And I still stay active as much as I can mm -hmm. and supportive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, of course, when I saw you um, yesterday and today, 
I, I, I thought that, um, I thought that your jacket and your, your demeanor, I said, and then you said I'm from Detroit. I asked you, did you step? I asked him yeah, about dancing. stepping. <laughs> That's we before I knew he was the judge, yesterday. though. That's before I knew he was the judge, though, Roxanne. Um, I said, okay, he's from Detroit, so I'm thinking, knowing how to step. Well, I can dance. Uh, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Um, that's his version freestyle stepping that's right but so you're, you're very fashionable and I want to know where that started from um well you know most of most of our parents from my generation came from the south mm-hmm. and they believed in dressing I mean yes. they believed in respect and they dressed for respect my father was a red cap at the railroad station, lived in bags for tips. But you wouldn't know it because he went to work every day in a suit, white mm-hmm. shirt, tie, top coat, hat. Get to work and put on a uniform. Mm-hmm. But he dressed for respect. I like, I like that. That's interesting. I want you to really kind of unpack that even more. Mm-hmm. Because in, in our culture, in a lot of places now, dressing... A lot of people do not dress up sure for don't. anything. Mm-hmm. And I want to just um, hear more about your feelings about the dressing for respect and how that mm-hmm. goes even deeper. Well, appearance is important. I try to tell young people that you're judged by what people see or you're judged by what people hear. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you look your best at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell young people that it's part of your fashion rotation that you should have a dark suit, leather shoes, a white shirt and tie. And I participate in programs that deal with youth, especially boys and, and appearance and dressing. And I try to teach them how to tie ties mm-hmm. and uh, how to pick out appropriate clothes, which is something else. I tell them that no matter what the occasion, you have to be appropriate. You have to be appropriate. I think it's so sad when we go to grandmother's funeral and hear grandson up here, pants hanging down, mm-hmm. you know, um, no respect in terms of appearance, but back to my generation, uh, our parents dressed us. No, we went to church, we went to Sunday school, we had Sunday clothes. Mm-hmm. So boys, you know, we always had a suit, a tie, a little hat, uh, leather shoes, mm-hmm. Buster Browns or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we always um, were taught the value and importance of appearance and respect because your clothes show respect as well mm-hmm. for you as well as the occasion. Mm-hmm. And um, when I talk to young people, I, I talk about the different stages of dressing. Um, our parents dress for respect, coming from the South, a lot of them. And then their children dress for success. I mean, meaning, you know, those of us that have jobs, went to college, and, you know, good um, experiences like that, dress to succeed. Mm-hmm. We want to we wanna dress like our boss because we want to be the boss mm-hmm. and we want to get promoted. Mm-hmm. And then after you do that, then you can dress to impress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, once you have the success, mm-hmm. you can kind of break out like this with an orange suit if you want. The orange but, yeah, mink. You know, yeah, okay, I have an orange mink. And, um, I love it. <laughs> but in my case, um, I dress for stress. Mm. You know, that's my next step. Because if you see me on a Friday morning going to court, in yellow suit, yellow gaiters, yellow hat. 
I'm dressing for stress. That means I'm gonna have a heavy, heavy day in court and I have to have the right frame of mind. Mm. I wanna feel good, I wanna look good, I wanna smile mm. before I even leave my house. <clears throat> so, you know, appearance is powerful and people need to understand that, especially young people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're very active in the community. Yes. Um, <clears throat> on all kinds of levels, giveaways, um, just a lot of community involvement. How, do you find that younger people are receiving the dress for respect, dress for success um, principle? Well, some, mm -hmm. some, yeah. Um, with this new generation that has reaped the benefits of our generation in terms of getting employment. Mm -hmm and opportunities, uh, most of them that I see understand the importance of appearance. Um, what I'm surprised about though, is now a lot of um, positions don't require ties. I mean, I still wear ties. Uh, I, it's in my pocket right now, but. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> they understand the importance of appearance. Mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> and I think they kind of understand what my mother told me that the quickest way to get where you're going is to look like you've already arrived. Mm -hmm. And I tell young people that all the time, the quickest way to get where you're going is to look like you've already arrived. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you see what, what, what position you want mm -hmm. and pay attention to how they look, mm -hmm. how they dress, and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. So I have another perspective. <clears throat> I'm not from Detroit. Mm -hmm. I'm from New York City. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is cultural within the black community that we we have all different kind of backgrounds. Um, in New York City, people dress, but we were the leaders. I noticed in the Midwest and the South, they were following what the white man was wearing. Mm. In New York, we set the trend. Fashion evolved from the black folks in New York. In New York, what do you say to that, Judge? Well, like oh, I always say, the clothes, the clothes may come out of New York, but the brothers and sisters from Detroit know how to wear You have to wear This is our whole thing. You can buy clothes, but you can't buy style. You're right about that. You're agree, right about but Andre that. But Andre Leon Talley, who I knew. Yes. And um, it's funny, just before 2019, when the NBA had the convention, we were all at Abyssinian Church. It's where the black judges had their, mm. they always have a church that they select in the city where they're going to convention. Mm. And literally, sitting in the church was Cicely Tyson right mm. in front. Yeah. We had all the judges there. Andre and I sitting right behind it. And, and um, my goodness, I'm looking at him now, the, the minister. Of course, it used to be Adam Clayton Bowell, but it's the minister that just passed away. Mm. What I'm saying is that I think you need to tell them who Leon Talley is. Oh. Not everybody knows. Yes. Oh, do you know? Who well, that? tell no, everybody just else. Tell everybody else. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Leon sure. Talley is um, was the first black editor for Vogue mm -hmm. magazine. He's an icon in the design industry. Mm -hmm. No one has reached higher heights. He is a graduate of Brown University. He spoke French fluently, and he literally raised the bar, created the bar of of even more than fashion, how fashion and culture intersect mm. is iconic. And I think every black person should understand the, the influence and the impact that mm -hmm, he had mm -hmm. um, generationally. He passed away last year. He did. Mm -hmm. He did. Wow. I was so glad, you know, things were shut down that I got an opportunity to do Fashion Week with him 2019. Mm. He passed away the mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by the way, Fashion Week 
for the first time in history, opened up Stardust Hall to acknowledge that we are the creators of style and fashion. <laughs> and we had it on 126th Street behind the Apollo. Tommy Hilfinger had to open it. They finally had to acknowledge that we are the creators of style. All right, so we've got New York City here and we've got Detroit. That's well, right. Well, see, okay, we have a thing going on. I'm leaving class. <laughs> and he, Detroit, they like flesh. <laughs> It's always showtime. <laughs> but like, like I say, I wake up to dress up. To dress up. Are you And I'm much more of a, um, I, I love style, but, but I'm probably more of that classy. Subtle? Would subtle, you say subtle? Subtle, but classy. Class. Okay, I got you. I got you. I got you. Street and Detroit is very much flesh. It's what? Detroit is flesh. Flesh. She said flesh. flesh. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with flesh. I think it has to do culturally. Coming from, uh, I, I know, coming from, <laughs> coming from the, the South. You see, New York has people coming all over the world. You see it, brother, you don't know if there's, they can speak English. They mm -hmm. could be coming from all parts of Africa, the Caribbean, mm -hmm. South America. In Detroit, they mostly came from Alabama. And so we, but in, and so wow. Detroit represents for a lot of us, New York City, yes, but for a lot of people, Detroit represents this whole thing of being black in America, mm -hmm. of music, of a flash, of style, of projecting who you are individually, just. For a lot of us, that's what Detroit represents. That's right. It does, but it evolved, which is why Barry Gordy had to go to California, <laughs> which is why Diana Ross lives in New York. Okay. And I could go on and on. They've all, because that was then, it has now evolved to another level. But I agree. Detroit, when I was a little girl in Detroit, we looked up to Detroit. Motown music, the style of like the Supremes and Mm -hmm. the, the, the brains musically of, of, of Aretha. Zach Aretha was one of my clients mm -hmm. as a designer. Mm -hmm. um, but the world has broadened. It, it has. And, and it's so there's a blend from everywhere. You have African countries in design now. You have so much. Absolutely. I, I still need to understand because there is a. Uh, a suit, pinstripe suit fashion judge mm. with the tie and the hat. And then there is this edgy fashion mm. of projecting individuality, colors, and mm. boldness. And I'm just wondering, how did you, where, where did that come from, though? You did say earlier that you wake up to dress up. But the, the style, though. No. The he's, style he's not giving it. you the real answer. Because oh. he has four sisters and brothers who now passed away. And they were just like me. Very conservative. Called like the Ralph Lauren look. He was different. You had to stand out? Was it because well, of that? My no. brothers did Brooks Brothers. I okay. did the brothers. Oh. <laughs> and you know why? Tell them why. Well, why Barry, was it different? Well, Barry Gordy asked me one time. He said, who taught you how to dress? I said, you did. Mm. You know, with the Temptations wearing green and Marvin uh, Gaye wearing okay. yellow. And, 
you know, I just love it. I love colors. I like the way I feel. Mm -hmm. I like the way my colors make other people feel. Mm -hmm. When people see me walking down the street, they smile. They do. I mean, I've had buses pull over and people applaud. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, it just makes you feel good. Like they say, if you look good, what if you feel good, look good. Mm -hmm. So. But hey, um, why you? No. No, no, like that's that. what my mother asked. No, seriously. <laughs> it's not Detroit's like that. He's like that. And there is a, a, a reason. Well, I just enjoy it. And, you know, it's like people like Steve Harvey. What brought us together was fashion. You know, Steve, I call it, I said, you dress like me. Because he said, you dress like me. I said, I'm older than you. Yeah, well, we went to a design convention like me. for me. <laughs> and he met Steve and we Harvey. Have, uh, yeah, and they we have, bonded. Um, yeah. They bonded. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, there are groups of, of us across the country that believe in appearance. Mm -hmm. And we try to keep the standards high. Mm -hmm. And we we dress. We dress. And I like it. I think he has a sense of design. And I'm saying that professionally. You do, though. I think that it's much deeper than that. He has, he could have also been a designer. He could have been a Tommy Hilfiger or whatever. He has just as much of a judicial sense as a fashion, design. design sense, design sense. How we are together is because I was, a, a, that was my major, law and political science. Oh, okay. So I think there's a cross-pollination <laughs> of ideas, really, I do. I think he has, he has more of a fashion sense than some of my colleagues who are male. Mm. His color coordination, even his vision of when he sees things that I, I know that are much more perceptive than the norm. And then equally important, is that you can wear it like you were yes. saying? I can. Yes. You can. Yes. You, it doesn't wear you. Yes. You, you wear it and you, you own, own it. it. Yes. That's and, some power. And yes. I yes. will always be appropriately attired. Mm -hmm. When I speak before children, young groups, you better believe I have on a conservative suit. Um, I don't have flash because I want them to understand that you have to be appropriate. Um, you may want to feel good by, you know, showing off um, what you have, but you always have to be appropriate for the occasion. But you have the freedom I, to do that, as you explained earlier in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And what young people have to understand is that freedom comes with a price. Mm -hmm. And freedom is not just automatic. It is this level that we get to. Because you can't walk in bold and, and, and not be appropriately attired when you don't have anything to back you up. That's Part right. of your confidence and your ease is that you have the background and the education to pull it off. Mm. Mm. That's why I said and many you reach a point where you can dress to impress, yes. but you got to get there. Mm -hmm. You got to get there. But they first you earned it. You yeah. earned it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You earned it. Mm -hmm. But he created the freedom it. to he, do. And you created because it. Because there was no other. He, he said the template because there was nobody there like you before. Mm -hmm. There might be a lot of trying to be like you. But you created mm -hmm. the original. Thank you very much. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I had to say that. Well, I stepped out there. I stepped out yeah. there. And mm. I've gotten a lot of attention. And it's been positive mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. um, but like I always say, you have to be appropriate. I always stress that. Have to be appropriate. Appropriate for the occasion. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to your Howard University graduate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did undergraduate at Florida A&M University. Right, yeah. Yes, strike and strike again. So I want to talk about um, HBCUs. It's uh, have, have been getting a lot of in, uh, attention over the last several years, and uh, more and more. 
students are, are, are wearing colors and are proud to be HBCU mm-hmm. um, students, alumni, right? So what are your thoughts about um, HBCU versus going to maybe a traditional college? Do you think, are you finding that more students are drawing, being drawn to HBCU experiences or no? Nah? No, I think they are because we have so many graduates now that are getting national and worldwide attention, mm-hmm. especially in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at Howard, Debbie Allen and her uh, sister Felicia, yes, um, you know, were classmates and and were schoolmates. And um, Felicia's back at Howard, mm-hmm. you know, fine arts department. Mm-hmm. Um, we see so many entertainers coming out of these schools that are drawing attention. And um, plus, I think more students are being recognized for their achievements, for their scholarship, um, academics, uh, and certainly stressed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think more students now are giving back mm-hmm. to their schools, you know, drawing attention that way, understanding our responsibility is always to reach back and to give back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's becoming important, mm-hmm. important. I remember going down south the first time, and my mother told me before I went, uh, she said, your looks may come from your father's side of the family, but your brains came from my side of the family. So I went down south, and sure enough, um, just about all of my relatives were educators. And I realized they were educators because that's where the black colleges were. Mm-hmm. You know, up north, they came up north to get better jobs, and they did. Mm-hmm. Got good jobs, but a lot did not go to college. Mm-hmm. So um, the value of um, black schools back then is, same, is the same as it is now. Mm-hmm. It educates folks. Mm-hmm. It gives them a particular type of education. And I'm so proud to be a Howard graduate, to be a bison, I show it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one. Yes, that's I mean, right. you know, people that graduate from black schools, you know, they, they have a sense of pride. <laughs> it's Hampton over there. Hampton, so. okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm and glad I played Alpha Phi Alpha. Oh, you're I Alpha Phi Alpha. Yeah, I was Big Brother Sid Diddy <laughs> from Motown City, <laughs> the land without pity. <laughs> So you can tell he was a character from, <laughs> from way from the beginning. That's from right. the Big beginning. Big brother did it from Motown City. The <laughs> His pit. elementary school friends mm-hmm. told me that he was like that even in elementary school. Okay, so this is organic, completely organic, <laughs> completely. Yeah. Uh, we know several young um, African American attorneys. Um, mm-hmm. One, Henri Washington. That's he's in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and just a few who desire to be attorneys. What's some of your counsel that you would give to young attorneys who just passed the bar exam recently and who are looking for a career, a pathway? What advice would you give them? Um, well, first of all, I'll, my first advice would be to join bar associations, um, black bar associations, because that's where you network. That's where you develop your business um, uh, relationships. That's where you get advice. That's where you get inspiration. Um, I'm very fortunate to have joined the Wolverine Bar Association as a law student, Mm -hmm. and I became the president of the Wolverine Bar before I was 30. I've been Mm -hmm. the president of three bar associations, Mm and um, it's very important, uh, at least in my career development, Mm -hmm. just being around older lawyers and older judges and Mm -hmm. listening and understanding that um, people are there to help, and all you have to do really is just pay attention yeah. and listen to what they have to say and follow their advice. So, 
you got to show up to go up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I say that to young people in, in all areas. You got to show up to go up, but you have to show up. This is so powerful, and I know we are running out of time, but I've got to say, a lot of times when you meet people who have achieved a great deal in their lifetime, they don't take the time to just talk to people randomly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've met people, started just chatting, and you get the feeling that you're intruding. I've not gotten that feeling at all. And that is one of the greatest, greatest joys of being alive when you meet people who are comfortable in who they are and what they have achieved and their position doesn't dictate who they are. Because you could have said, oh, okay, all right, that's enough of that. <laughs> but you're so um, authentic, so authentic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and that's amazing. That's powerful, especially these days. A lot of people, when they've achieved all that you've achieved in your lifetime, you were a a, a circuit court judge, just retired Navy um, officer, sat on um, court marshals. You've done a lot in your life. I am. You've met. And it's not over. It's not over. <laughs> and I, I saw where you met one of my favorites, Cedric the Entertainer. Um, I saw you with Mike Tyson. Um, you've been with Steve Harvey. You just Sydney Partier. Um, so it's incredible. With our activity, I was a chair of the. Detroit Institute of Arts, fifth largest museum in the world. And, um, and Denzel and some of everybody. Oh, yeah. but Everybody's got to go with you. the Image Awards. Yeah, so and much. And I also introduced him to the, um, um, the uh, Trumpet Awards. So he's met a lot of folks. <laughs> and a lot of folks have met him, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But back then, you know, he, he evolved it. He takes to that. He really does. Where I would meet them, and I really, but he really zeroed in on mm. zero in on on that. Mm. But um, which is another avenue mm -hmm. of people meet um, people. Mm -hmm. It is activism. It is. It is. It is because people being out in the community, people to people, is activism. It you is. can have a platform where people listen to you. You can have a platform where people respect you. But the greater thing is to have all of those things and have where people can connect with you. That's so true. People can actually connect with you because that's the greater impact where you're touching people's heart. When I brought the ambassadors in from the different Caribbean countries, I, I call that connecting, that we need to cross, I use it's my big cross word, cross-pollination is the word that the ambassadors use. and mm. I taken to that. Mm -hmm. We don't do enough of that in our black community. Mm -hmm. We stress all of our children, we doctors, lawyers, mm -hmm. and teachers. Mm -hmm. I say we need to bring our children up to be entrepreneurs, own your business, learn how to make money, and go into fields that we don't see it. And that's really where the monetary gain comes in. Mm -hmm. We don't bring up our children to be designed. Think about building the building. Who builds the building? Yeah, who builds the building? Who creates who the city? Who owns the building? Who owns the who building? Who designs the city? So we're telling our children to be worker bees, to look for a job. Do you know that lawyers, do you know what the average income is of the average African-American lawyer, Craig? Not enough. Not enough. But more than... Um, About $40,000. Depending on the market, depending where yeah, you area. live. Yeah, area. It's a code, right? Yeah. It's, it's always not a high, which is why a lot of young black lawyers are going to white firms and are 
there's a little bit more depth to all of this. Why are they going for the ABA? Maybe because their connection. The world is changing. It's and it's it's connection. It's people. Um, and I know before we run out of time, if you're just tuning in to Conversations with Daisy yeah. Jones, I am talking with um, retired circuit court judge and <laughs> Navy judge Craig S. Strong. He was over the third judicial circuit of Michigan, um, hometown Detroit, Michigan. We've been talking about a number of things in his career, his law career, yeah. uh, his global work. And we've also been talking with his wife and love, Roxanne Witter who is an interior designer and has, you've had your hands in a lot of things. And so it's it's my delight to meet you all and, and talk to you. I wanna ask you, are you into acting? Has anyone been <laughs> casting you in parts and things like that? <laughs> That's interesting. In the series um, 187, I played the judge. And on Comedy Central in the series Detroiters, I play the judge. <laughs> I've been in about, I've had cameo appearances in about four movies. I did not know this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a gift I've of been, seeing I've gifts. Been, I've, been, I've, been, yeah. I've been in several movies. So um, it's interesting. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It, it comes I've naturally. Been, yeah, I've been on a lot of shows. Um, sometimes you look at Judge Judy, I'm in the front row. She puts me in the uh. front row. <laughs> and. You know, one episode you'll see me in a purple suit, another one in a green suit. Um, yeah, but I, 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 I have participated in a lot of projects. Mm. And most recently, and what was really important, was during COVID mm. when <clears throat> um, mm. the health department was trying to get people to cover up with mm. masks. Mm -hmm. They asked me to do a public service. Uh, Announcement, yeah. Yeah, yeah we and, and it was. We took the, here comes the design and the politics. <laughs> they didn't really have masks made then, you know? So what they did was, um, yeah. we took fabric. We took fabric and put it around his mouth. Yeah, what they did. His ties, and it was yeah, fabulous. Um, to get people to um, cover up, they asked me to show how people can cover up using fashion. Mm. Yeah. And I use my ties, yeah. cummerbunds, oh. uh, handkerchiefs, things mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. in a fashionable way. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I had them matching my outfits mm. and drew attention that way. So yeah. um, I was very happy about that. And they ran that uh, commercial uh, for a substantial period of time mm -hmm. to encourage people to mask up. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was great. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> that speaks to your versatility. Yeah. Your, your versatility. You know, sometimes you expect an attorney to be just straight-laced, conventional, traditional, and one-dimensional. You're, you're not that. <laughs> no. Obviously. Definitely Obviously. No. no. I think that's the key to all professions. Yeah. One should not be one-dimensional mm -hmm. about anything. And I think that's the key to just living more fully. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is yes. just um, living out who you who you are, your purpose, but living and blooming, thriving, not fitting mm -hmm. in some some path that you saw somebody else. And not fit hurting into. others in the process. Exactly. Right. Love Being people. Respect Be respectful. Of, of other people's places and circumstances. Yes. You know, like I tell young people. Um, about respect. I tell them that when I'm in court and I'm with the worst person, the worst murderer, 
what do I call him? Sir. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I can mm -hmm. call that person, so when you're in the community, respect each other, respect mm -hmm. your elders, call them sir. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Now, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Um, <laughs> thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> You got a lot of options, so you can say, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you have a lot of options. Yeah, yeah. Same thing that keeps other people up at night. <laughs> what am I doing tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And how am I closing out tonight? Mm. Um, that keeps it simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's not complicated when you think of it that way. Yeah, but now you think about making me think about dressing again. Because, you know, I tell young people to plan their day. Mm -hmm. You know, don't wait until the last minute to iron your clothes mm -hmm. if you're going to iron them mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, that's a good point now. <clears throat> but, you know, put it together the night before uh -huh. so that when you wake up, you have a fresh start. You're not being frustrated. You don't have to look for things. Mm -hmm. Just lay it out. Mm. Now, Judge, how many, uh, Nathan, Mama? I'm curious <laughs> as to what do you want to be remembered for mm. when you've um, done everything that you've done what do so 50 years from now what do you want people to um, say about service. you when you've done my service see we didn't talk about that i mean mm. i've been involved with the membership drive for the child's age right museum for 40 years mm. <clears throat> getting memberships That's keeping the door to the, the museum open <clears throat> mm -hmm. um and we've had three buildings now i'm active with the adopt the child for christmas program this is mm. a program that when i got involved in it we had about 200 people mm -hmm. um, adopting children under the age of 12, giving them clothes for Christmas. Now we've got 5,000. Oh, wow. <clears throat> um, That's incredible work. Yeah, and I've been, you know, like I said, I've been president of three bar associations, mm -hmm. and that's important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you got to use your education and your skills to help others, and I try to do it every opportunity, every opportunity. When I'm in California, um, I, I participate in toy giveaways for Christmas. Like you saw earlier, um, mm -hmm. I was participating in turkey giveaways mm -hmm. for Thanksgiving. There's just so many ways of helping people. And that's something that everybody should. When we talk about um, when we celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday yes. for service. I had just come back from New Orleans. And the first thing I did was go to this uh, school, this middle school, because mm -hmm. my fraternity um, had adopted that school. So we're there talking to the kids. Mm -hmm. Then I went to the Charles H. Wright Museum. We had a lecture series. And then finally, I went to our convention center, well, now to our hotel where Reverend Jesse Jackson was speaking. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, I try to support a lot of organizations, a lot of projects, mm -hmm. and I, I, I get enjoyment out of that. Mm -hmm. And I've always been like that. I mean, my mother raised me to be active in the church, in elementary school, things like that. Yes. And it's important that people give back and help others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. No question about that. Mm -hmm. That's a part of it. That's an obligation. Yeah, and I even believe. on the bench. Um, one of the greatest things in my retirement is people coming up to me, thanking me, um, telling me how um, they received justice in my court mm -hmm. or how um, even those who went to prison would thank me mm -hmm. um, because I helped save their lives, mm -hmm. you know, by changing their environment and mm -hmm. saving them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, jurors, they, they thank me for, the, for my consideration and 
it's just a good feeling mm-hmm. when the public lets you know that they appreciate your service. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest thank you of all. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm receiving it, and I'm happy. Sitting on the bench is a powerful position. Yes. Of, I mean, a judge. You're weighing so many factors that affect not just one person's life, but millions of people, families, and children. How did you keep it all in perspective? And I'm gonna, we're gonna close um, after this because I know we're running out of time. But how, how have you kept all of that in perspective? Balancing my life. Balancing my life. If all I did, remember, I was a criminal law judge for most of my career before I went to the civil side. But if all I did was go to court and go home, I'd lock myself in my house mm. because of the violence that I would see mm. out here. Mm. And um, so, you know, when you balance your life out, when you're active with a museum and youth groups and you see young people doing positive things as opposed to just robbing folks and shooting each other and things like that, when you balance your life out, you can, um, you can function, mm. you can go through things. And you don't they take things personal. You know, you stay objective in your decision making, you listen and you pay attention. And you also step away from cases sometimes when mm-hmm. we're talking about what keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes some cases would. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, with experience you learn to separate yourself. I mean sometimes you put things over because sometimes things require a second look. And then a third look, mm. because you want to make sure that whatever your decision is, is correct. Mm. And that's the most important thing, mm. justice. Well, we'll have to leave it there. We are out of time for conversations with Daisy Jones, and I appreciate you. I'm taking the time, and you, Roxanne, for taking the time to talk to, to us. And I love Jones is here today for talking to us. And um, I say this all the time, that in these days of ever-evolving technology, that a conversation is still the most powerful communication on the planet. To learn more about Judge Craig S. Strong, you can look, you can Google him. You can find out all that he's doing in the world. Find out um, this trailblazer, this icon, um, fashionista. Just, you know, Google Craig S. Strong and you can find out about what he's doing. And you are on social media. Um, and just, just uh, follow him in there. And I have to ask Roxanne Witter. Um, how can we reach out to you? Because I need to follow up with you and have a conversation. And I am not on social media on purpose. <laughs> I, I, we are so the opposite when it comes to that. If I could, I, I would probably shut away from the media. And he would run to it. But that's probably but why. But I'll reach out to you. But then. that's why we're a good balancing act. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we were both either the way, it, it works out better when you, when you learn how to balance wow. and complement each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key to a relationship. We'll talk next time right here on Conversations with Daisy Jones. 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 Hey, let's talk a while. She the community voice with a big old smile. If you want that truth, don't touch the dial. If you want that truth, don't touch the dial. Community resource for number one. She's the best when it's all said and done. So go ahead, call on the phone, man, you're live on the mic with Daisy Jones, so let it not miss you, yeah.
Better than the magazine, bringing life to the issue. Having these talks that'll bless you. Every conversation will address you. Every word tastes good like blessed food. This show gon' bless you. So get on the phone, have a conversation with Daisy Jones. Let's go.